Welcome to the Joyful Journey podcast. If you're looking for more clarity in your life, clarity of purpose or how to activate that purpose, and you are someone who wants to operate from your highest self to be a force for good you know this world craves, then this is the show for you. I'm Anita Adams, your host and guide to finding clarity and creating a life you love. Let's tap into our inner wisdom, access our highest self, and unleash joy. As we do this, we raise our vibration and heighten the collective consciousness. And that, my friend, is the joyful journey. Let's dive in. Hey, Joyful Journeyer, Anita Adams here, your host. And today I'm excited to introduce you to Megan Sheldon, who is the co-founder and CEO of Be Ceremonial, the world's first guided ritual app that empowers you to create your own ceremonies across the life cycle. Megan is also a cultural mythologist, secular celebrant, and end-of-life doula who supports individuals, families, and communities moving through grief. Today, we are going to talk about rituals for death, dying, and grief. Welcome, Megan. I'm so pleased to have you here today. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. You know, my I think you and I were speaking uh, recently, and and I was sharing with you that I, I had recently lost my um, my uncle, and some of the the experiences around him, his passing, and leading up to to that time, I feel personally really prepared me for um, dealing with his death. And so when I learned about the work you do, I thought, oh, this would be really great to have a conversation around around death and dying and dealing with grief. And and then I learned more about some of the the ceremonies that you uh, that you teach people and then about your app. And I'm like, oh, she's <laughs> so interesting. And we need to have more of these conversations. So thank you again for making time in your busy schedule to be a part of this and to share your wisdom with our audience. Um, before we get into um, all of that that you do and, and the lessons that you can share with us, I'm really curious to know what inspired you to become uh, an end-of-life doula in the first place? Yeah, it was interesting listening to you talk about your own experiences. Um, I find there's kind of two, two camps of people um, who are drawn into the death doula, end-of-life care kind of role. Either they're people who had a really beautiful experience and they they learned what was possible and they saw death uh, not as something that is, you know, ugly and and that we need to be afraid of and, and run away from, but instead it was an experience that kind of brought the whole the whole death and dying process um more into the living, into the life experience. Or there's the people who had a, a really difficult experience. Um, you know, it was either very traumatic or it was, you know, there was there was no ritual, there was no ceremony. It was something that was just really void and, and lacked that connection that many of us are seeking. So my experience was the latter. Mm. Um, I went through a period of, of great loss about 10 years ago. Um, it, it started with a, a, my father-in-law receiving a terminal diagnosis mm. um, right before my husband and I were about to be, be married. Um, and then it kind of progressed into a time of recurrent miscarriages between my husband and I. We had three losses. Mm. And then we had a, a live child um, born, my daughter. Um, and then my father-in-law died when she was two months old. So there was about a two-year span there where 
we went through more grief than I knew was possible. Um, and what I learned, I learned dif- different types of grief, um, anticipatory grief, uh, ambiguous loss, compounded grief. So, you know, it wasn't just the the miscarriage that I was grieving. It was the due date when I finally reached a due date and didn't have a, a live child. It was the, the day my father-in-law received a terminal diagnosis and we didn't know what to do and, and how to process that kind of news. And for the most part, our society, you know, I, I'm identify as non-religious. I'm, I'm a humanist. Um, you know, I, I don't have strong connections, or at least I didn't to my cultural heritage and my lineage. So uh, when all of that was happening, the kind of natural response, you know, around me was to do nothing. Um, people didn't know what to do. And it wasn't their own fault. It wasn't something that they were doing out of harm's way. They were just um, confused and they didn't want to make things worse. So they didn't want to talk about it. And that leads to a feeling of isolation. I had a friend share with me that there is a ceremony shaped hole in our society right now. And as soon as she said it, my my heart just kind of stopped. And I thought, yes, that's exactly what I've been feeling. I've been feeling this craving for recognition, acknowledgement, validation of all of the things that I'm feeling. And yet there was nothing. And so like many of us, when there is nothing, we set out to create something. So I then spent the last 10 years researching and, and learning and um, acquiring and, and um, talking with people and listening to stories and practicing um, different types of ritual and ceremony to, um, you know, at first it was to heal my own my own heart and, and my own journey and, and to validate what I was experiencing. Um, and then it was for friends and then friends of friends. And then it just kind of snowballs from there. And suddenly we're building an app for people around the world. And we've got, you know, about 4,000 people in 14 countries around the world drawing inspiration from the rituals that we've been able to kind of come up with. So, yeah. Yeah, beautiful. You're clearly filling a need, you know, and, and helping people move through something that is can be very challenging. And and our society has made um, death and dying and all that taboo subjects. And it's it makes it, I think, harder, a lot harder for somebody to to um, grieve and to move through that that experience. So thank you for all the, the work that you're doing. Um, I think it's really important and and interesting. It's interesting. Yeah, well, it's interesting because we, I mean, death and dying used to be around us all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, you think back to 100, 150 years ago, and, you know, for sure, little children would see a a dead body. You know, they would, the parlor in the home was meant for bringing our dead in and, and grieving them and saying goodbye and having this form of reverence or, um, you know, allowing your, your body and your mind to catch up and your emotions to be processed. And then death was kind of taken away from us and it was medicalized and sanitized and moved into kind of hospital settings, which I understand the reason for. And there is definitely a place for that. But what ended up happening is we lost touch with how to be with people who are dying. We lost touch with what we're supposed to do. Um, and we default. You know, Most often what happens when somebody dies, the first thing we do is pick up the phone and say, what now? Like, what are we supposed to do? When the most beautiful thing we can do is simply pause, you know, put on a put on the kettle, sit and have um, a cup of tea and just process what's what's happened and be in the company of a dead body and not feel like it's something we have to rush through and get out of our house and get out of our, our space. Um, 
so yeah, just kind of there's a community death care movement happening around the world of, of trying to reclaim how to be with people when they're dying and how to be with a dead body and not have it be something that's so foreign to us. And um, yeah, I think that's part of our own, um, you know, wellness, health and healing kind of journey. We're all just trying to make sense of what happens when, when somebody dies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's really powerful. Thank you for for sharing that. So can you talk to us about ritual and ceremony and why it's so important? Yeah, so I, uh, where I start with ritual and ceremony is to kind of move away from a prescriptive definition. Um, and I, I always say my rituals are descriptive, not prescriptive. So I'm not here to tell you exactly what to do. I think that there's enough of that going on in the world. And a lot of people come to me and we have to kind of unpack our baggage and our bias and our preconceived notions of what we think ritual and ceremony is. Because the Wikipedia version that you would get is not my definition. That's not, you know, they usually give you words like religious and repeated and rigid. Um, and there is a place, there is a hundred percent a place for rituals that are passed down over time across culture, um, you know, through, through ancestry and, um, as part of a religious or a cultural tradition for sure. And yet what happens for those of us who are, um, you know, don't have that, we don't have that built in container of, of how to move through times of change and not just death and dying, but all kind of rites of passage in life. Um, and birth and death are these two thresholds. And that's usually when people come, you know, they re they feel that ceremony shaped whole when they're going through something as big and as life altering as a birth or a death. And they don't know what to do because they've lost touch with those. So when I talk about ritual, um, I'm very mindful of not appropriating from other cultures. I look at the universal elements of ritual. I have researched into across culture, across time. I have a master's in cultural mythology. So that's my, my passion of really digging into myth and, and ritual and ceremony and where it's all come from. And I, I think it's in us. I'm, I'm not here to teach people how to, how to do ritual. I'm here to help them remember mm, because I, I, I think. Yeah, I think it's in our bones. It's something that we are innate. We are. I, I have two small children, and they are naturally ceremonial. I don't even have to give them much. I give them a little bit of a container. You know, we'll, we'll find a dead bird in the backyard, and naturally, I'll just I'll ask them what they would like to do, and they will move through this experience. And they'll go and spend five or ten minutes picking flowers and circling it around the bird and saying their own their own farewells and their own forms of gratitude. Um, and I'm not telling them what to do. I'm just giving them permission to kind of step into that ceremonial space and see what shows up. So the the definition that I work with that um, I invite your listeners and yourself to take inspiration from and, and then spend a little time thinking if that's something that you identify with or if you want to shift it. Um, but for me, a ritual is an intentional, symbolic action that hopes to create meaning in life. So it's intentional that you are not just doing it because you've always done it. You are actually stepping into this. I say we fall into routine and we step into ritual. So you are stepping into it with an intention. It's symbolic. You're drawing on some kind of symbolic um, connection that you might have. Maybe you're choosing an old teacup that your great grandmother left you and you want to drink your morning tea out of that and connect with your, with your lineage and your ancestry. And so you specifically chose that teacup because it's personal for you. It's a symbol. 
And then it's an action. And I, you know, what you might take a rock and go down to the beach and imbue it with all your anger and throw that rock as far as you can into the ocean. You know, that that act of throwing becomes part of the ritual. Um, an action can also be inaction. So um, here in Canada, we have a beautiful ritual around um, Remembrance Day of holding an, um, a nationwide moment of silence. So the action is doing nothing. It's holding silence. It's connecting with our breath. Um, and then the fourth is with the hope to create meaning. And this is where I really invite people to have give themselves a lot of permission to try and not have it be perfect. Um, the the hope to create meaning means that we're going to try this and we're going to bring this ritual into our into our life or we're going to be with somebody who's going through something and it might not always work. It might not always be what we thought it would be. And I think we get so obsessed with making things perfect and, you know, and how they look rather than how they feel. So if you hope to create meaning from it, it will be successful. You don't know what that meaning always will be. And if you're doing ritual in a community setting, each person is going to have their own meaning from that. So those are the four things that I invite people to kind of think about the, the intention, the symbolism, the action, and then that meaning and how that might show up for you or for somebody else. That's beautiful. I love how individual it is, how personal it is. There's no right or wrong. It's uh, you are going, allowing yourself the space to feel into what feels right for you and using your children as examples I think is that's so great like we I think the older we get the more we feel we need to do things a certain way we might be judged if we don't do it do it right you know quote unquote and what you're saying is find something take the time or what I'm hearing anyways is you know take the time to process what feels right for you to move move forward to have the acknowledgement and then the intention and that that sense of meaning i love i love all that so thank you thank you for uh giving us the freedom with that because i've always thought that things had to be done a certain way you know like when we did the mm. um spreading of my uncle's ashes um recently it was just a small intimate group and um i've never done that before and everybody was looking to me to you know lead this you know little ceremony and and that came as a surprise actually because i don't know i just i just thought i was going to show up and be a part of something but for, for some reason i i was the default leader and it actually caught initially caused um some stress for me because i wanted to do it right and ultimately um what I what I did is just what felt right for me, and um, and then everybody ended up doing exactly what I was doing, um, and I thought, oh, okay, that that's okay. That's what what everybody else wants to do. But it initially just caused some stress because I didn't give myself the space and time to figure out what I really wanted until I was <laughs> thrown in the situation and I've got all these eyes on me. It was really uncomfortable um, initially. So I wish I wish you and I had connected before because I probably would have spent a little more time um, allowing myself to process what I really wanted and uh, and ultimately was fine. Um, but it was it was just I think I, I created more stress for myself by um, not giving myself the space to to figure out my own feelings around things. So this is good. Yeah. And as somebody who does a lot of end of life ceremonies, especially after somebody's died, 
um, you know, working with families around memorials and, and death anniversaries and celebrations of life. I think often the planner will come in and they'll want to create the meaning for everybody. They'll want to say, okay, this is what I want everybody to feel. And ultimately we have no control over that. All we can do is set up the conditions um, and invite people to opt in and opt out, kind of step in or step out as much or as little as they want. And I think if people feel that the ritual is imposing on them and they have to kind of follow something that is that structure, they'll, you know, sometimes that's helpful and sometimes people love that. And sometimes people really repel from that. And they, so I think um, I, I try, whenever I, I present a ritual to a large group, I give people lots of permission to step in and out of it in a way that might feel right to them and to create their own personal meaning that ultimately I have no control over how, how that's going to happen. And I think the pandemic really showed us that, right? Suddenly all of our normal rituals were taken from us, especially around grief and loss and death. Um, and so I had people reaching out, and this is part of the inspiration for Be Ceremonial, is I had people reaching out all over the world. Because at that point, um, you know, people had heard of me and, and knew that I was somebody who was looking at ritual in a little bit more of a um, an adapting, shifting, evolving way. And so, you know, I had people reaching out, um, you know, a, a young mom had just had a stillbirth and she wanted to create a ceremony, but she couldn't gather her family because they were all in France and she was in the U.S., so we came up with a way to create a ceremony using technology to connect us. But ultimately, it was giving each person a chance and an opportunity to do something in their own home, in their own space, um, and to acknowledge the grief they were personally holding, and then come together as a community and share that and witness each other. Because that, for me, is the the essence of, of that ceremonial setting. So I talked a little bit about a ritual earlier. And a ritual can be something that stands alone. You can just do one ritual for me. I can, you know, my morning ritual, I might have something that I do before bedtime. My seven-year-old daughter, we have our bedtime ritual and I ask for the three, the same three questions every night and we kind of move through those questions. Um, but then if we look at a ceremony, a ceremony for me is kind of that larger container. So it strings together rituals in a way that's going to ultimately move us through um, a time of change and give us that kind of that com that storytelling component where we're telling a story through ritual. And that's how we based our, our platform be ceremonial is we give people rituals to kind of open the space, things that are going to invite you to step across that threshold. And now you're in that ceremonial container and then rituals to acknowledge the past and release what we might be letting go of or what we want to acknowledge. Um, if, then we then give people rituals around being present and in the moment mm -hmm. and then rituals on how to carry this forward. What's the legacy we're going to carry with us? What's the meaning we're going to weave into the rest of the day, the rest of the week, the rest of the year, and then a ritual to close. So I often say it's like um, a cooking pot. The ceremony is the big giant cooking pot and the rituals are the ingredients that we throw in to make that experience unique to us. And it's built on a traditional rite of passage um, framework. So traditional rites of passage have this separation. You're letting go of what was, you're separating yourself from who you were. And then you're stepping into this kind of liminal space where you're kind of in that in between. And then you're incorporating what you've learned into how you're going to move forward. So we think about, you know, um, coming of age, you know, a, a child moves into that space, that liminal space, and then they move into that adolescence and they've learned something or they've acknowledged something or they've been given gifts from the elders. So that's the traditional rite of passage structure that we really draw a lot of inspiration from. Right. Okay, great. So um, leading ceremonies, 
who who can lead i'm i'm guessing anybody can lead where do yeah, you start? so do you yeah start in in canada i mean it's different all over the world um in canada anybody can lead any ceremony except a wedding you can't legally marry somebody in canada unless you are um you know ordained or a part of some kind of um religious or metaphysical um body a governing body um but anybody can lead a ceremony around um you know, a funeral, um, a celebration of life. Um, I think that most of us in in Western society, we're familiar with ceremonies around birth, marriage, and death. Those are kind of the three times. And usually when we are experiencing ceremonies, it's usually a bit of a template, right? Oh, we're going to a, a baby shower. We're used to what to expect. Oh, we're going to a wedding. We're used to kind of a series of events. And we're going to a funeral. We kind of expect certain things. Um, so what I'm interested in is, first of all, what if we take the ceremonies around those three big moments in life and, and shift it and um, shuffle it up and make it something unexpected that doesn't follow the, the set order? But also, what are all those moments of change in between that we fail to recognize and we fail to create ceremony around um, when we're talking about grief and, and, and death and dying? You know, I, I mentioned with my father-in-law, like, what if we had a ceremony around receiving a terminal diagnosis? Mm-hmm. And what if we came together as a family or a small community or a large community, and we created something at that moment um, that helped each and every one of us, including the person who's received, and especially the person who's received the diagnosis, um, acknowledge and let go of some things that, you know, they're they're now having to to reckon with and, and support them through that, through ritual. Um, I worked with a community of women in the States uh, through Hope Edelman and the Motherless Daughters community. And I worked with them to create a ceremony when they were about to turn the age their mother was when their mother died. Ah, yes. That so a lot of, be, yeah. It seems yeah. to be a topic that's coming up a lot in my friend circle right now, whereas mm-hmm. um, people are approaching the ages of when their, their parents, uh, you know, died. A lot of them died young. So that's interesting, and I, I can see how that that could be really important. Are these are these the invisible moments that you um, talk about? Yeah, so I, I refer to them as these seemingly seemingly invisible moments, and for yeah. me, they're these moments that don't get a lot of airtime. They're not the things that you know most people are talking about, and mm-hmm. yet, um, you know, turning the you know the women that I worked with, they were about to turn the age that their mother was, and this date had been seared in their mind their entire life. Mm-hmm. They knew it was coming, and yet nobody else would know. You would be going to work that day, you'd be coming home, unless you specifically told somebody. And even then, they might not understand the magnitude of it. They might not understand what it is to to reach that day and then reach the next day when you're now one day older than your mother or your father or your friend ever got to live. And how do we reckon that? How do we acknowledge the the multitude of emotions that we're feeling in that experience? And ritual and ceremony is one way, a beautiful way and a powerful way that you can create your own meaning and, and make that day um, you know, you're not going to fix it. You're not going to make it better, but you're going to acknowledge what you're holding. And and hopefully that can help support you through your journey. Right. So it's, um, for instance, my husband is um, approaching the age where his father um, passed away. In fact, I think his next birthday this month is approaching the age of um, when his dad passed. So what would you recommend to to me as the support person of my husband, should we get into a dialogue on what it, what that 
um, time means or like what, what kind of advice would you, you offer? Yeah. Um, I think the first thing would be, um, it's really hard to convince somebody else to have a ceremony if you okay. don't already have a relationship with ritual and ceremony yourself, because they're going to kind of look at you and think, oh gosh, what are you, what are you yeah. talking about? It's not a big deal to me, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we have to be really careful not to push our, our own feelings and you might, you yourself might need something. This date might be a big day for you because mm-hmm. you're, and so understanding, you know, how you can do your own work to kind of acknowledge what you're feeling and holding and then support him. And, and he might be inspired by some of the things that you've done or that you're thinking through. Um, I know with my husband, he lost his father seven years ago and went home to Sweden this summer with his ashes. And he led a, an ash scattering ceremony, his first time doing this as well um, with his his uncle and, and male cousins. Um, so a big group of Swedish men, nobody knew what to do. Everyone was looking at Johan. He said he kind of, he, he looked in our app because we have an ash scattering ceremony and he was thinking, okay, what is it that's important? And ultimately he said, I, I didn't do it the way you would do it, Meg. I, I did it the way I did it. And it was so good. And that's exactly what I hope is that nobody's going to try to recreate the way that I would do something. I just want to give them ideas and inspiration. So with your husband, I would kind of take that traditional rite of passage and think about, okay, what, you know, what is it that you want to honor from the past? Are there any stories you want to tell or any, maybe bring out some photo albums, maybe spend some time kind of looking back. Um, there might be some anger or kind of displaced emotions or fear or frustration that never got verbalized or vocalized. You know, you can invite them to write some of those down and, and burn them in a little fire and have a release ritual. Mm-hmm. Um, but somehow kind of acknowledging the past in a way that feels right to him. Um, doing something in the middle that invites you just to pause. And, um, you know, for my husband and I, you know, we might um, go outside by the fire and just, you know, look up at the stars and just take a quiet moment of silence and acknowledge something and just be be in the present and not try to rush through. I think most ceremonies, people are rushing. Um, they're trying to get to the end. They're trying to get it over with because they're really uncomfortable. And it's just something we're not used to sitting with all these emotions. So the best thing we can do is just pause and just let those kind of move through us in a way that feels right. And then the third is thinking about, okay, what what was his father's legacy? What is he going to carry forward? What is he going to, um, you know, weave into the rest of his life? And then in turn, what's his own legacy? And how can he start planting those seeds and, and start kind of um, having a relationship with that and think about the rituals that are going to help him acknowledge what will be? Because ultimately we have no... We have no control over what will be, but we have that ability to be intentional with how we spend our life. And I am the the studies, the research are showing that the more the the stronger our relationship and our connection with with mortality and with death and dying, the richer our lives will be because we live in a different way when we are completely aware and present of our mortality. And so it doesn't need to be a scary conversation, but it can be something of saying, okay, like what, you know, in this next chapter in life, what is it that you want to do? What do you want to do in your dad's honor? How are you going to bring him, you know, what he taught you, the lessons he gave you into this next time? I love that. Thank you. It's really helpful. So what are some other invisible moments that surround death, dying and grief? So, and that those are three very big topics that, um, so for grief, um, I mean, there's, we're grieving every day. And I think for many of us, we were told a story about grief, that it follows five neat and tidy stages, and that 
we can get over our grief. You know, there's this, there's this end to our grief. And when you are going through grief, you quickly realize, first of all, it doesn't always follow those stages and it's really messy and you might get stuck in one and come back to it again. And mm. it's, um, you know, it's not what we had been told it was. And second is there's no completion to it. There's no end to it. Um, you know, I, I still go over, I have a bridge in the forest that I call my miscarriage bridge. And I went over it last week and I picked up a rock and I threw it over one edge and my, the tears just came. And I, I thought back to those, those three ba- babies that I lost. Lost, and that grief was ever so present. It wasn't as heavy. It didn't sting the, the same way that it did eight, nine, 10 years ago, but it was there. And I think finding ways to walk with our grief and acknowledge it. Um, I, I often will be driving and I think I'll see my father-in-law. He was a very distinct looking six foot five Swedish man. And because I never spent time with his body um, after he died, which I regret, um, I had a two month old baby and I was kind of encouraged by the medical staff to not go in. Mm. Um, because again, we have this relationship with death and dying where we're like, oh, you, you shouldn't have to see that. Whereas I think it would have done me really good to have seen his body and and allowed my brain to catch up with my heart. Um but so for many years, I would think I would see him and I would just push that moment down. I think, oh, just don't don't let that come up. Just keep driving or keep walking. And now what I do is I take that seemingly invisible moment where the grief is suddenly surging up. I see a man that looks just like him and he turns around and it's obviously not him, but the grief is now there. It's come to the surface. And instead, I will go and I will find a bench or I'll pull the car over and I will sit for a few minutes and I will pretend that he's sitting right next to me and I will tell him about his granddaughters or I will tell him about his son. And I will take two minutes out of my day to acknowledge that grief that I'm feeling, which is that he's not here and that he never got to see his granddaughters and be a part of our life. And so I'm, I'm, I'm using my own kind of moment of connection and intention and, and creating my own meeting in that two minutes. So I'm not seeing, feeling the grief rising and pushing it down and moving on with my day. I'm allowing that grief to come up and surface and I'm acknowledging it and I'm welcoming it into my day. Yeah. That makes me want to cry <laughs> and it's beautiful. It's uh, <sighs> I need to take a breath. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's really, um, yeah, heartfelt, real, important. Have those moments to give yourself, to give yourself that um, that gift of time, right? To yeah. to experience that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that feels really that really sits with me. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, because we all have it, right? We all yeah. we all have those moments where we think we see someone or we think of somebody and we don't know what to do. And so for the most part, we do nothing because yeah. we haven't. So if that can kind of invite whatever it's going to be like for you. And again, it shouldn't be the same for each person. You do your own thing. You might see a friend that you that you grew up with that died and, you know, you used to go to the Dairy Queen together. So you might go to the Dairy Queen that week and, and yes. do something in her honor. So those are the things that I, I invite people to really think about is, is how we acknowledge that grief rather than pushing it down. And yeah. I have a, a weekly swimming circle that I started during the pandemic and we cold water swim in the ocean year round. 
And we meet every Sunday. It's our our version of nature church, ocean church. And we um we we each spend about five minutes walking along the beach floor and we choose an object that's representative and symbolic of something we're grieving. Big things, little things. And we get into a circle and we share our grief. And then we take that object and we throw it in the water or we gently release it and place it in. And then we go into the water. We have that moment of stillness where we're so present and connected. And then we come out and we share what we're going to carry with us from from that experience for the rest of the day, the rest of the week. And it's so funny. Every Sunday I go, I'm driving. I'm like, oh, I'm not really grieving anything this week. And I, I don't know what really what I'm going to share. And then I start walking along the beach and it just comes all the grief that I've been feeling all week that I didn't really know mm. where to put it. Um, but being intentional with how we not only process our own, but also hold space for others, because I might not be grieving something big, but you know, 15, 20 women coming and men sometimes too coming together. There's somebody in that group who's going through something big that week. And if we now give her an opportunity to share, you know, about her friend who's going through chemo and how hard it is to see her friend that way. And, and we don't try to solve it. We don't try to fix it. We just let her express it and then take her big, heavy rock and throw it in the water as an acknowledgement. Yeah. That's a beautiful ceremony. Is that a ceremony or is that a ritual? That's a ceremony that you. So have. it's a ceremony because we're we're cha- we're we're moving through that well, you know that thing with with different rituals. Um, and a lot of people and again not prescriptive. If you want to call it a ritual, if you want to call it, you know that yeah. it's for everybody to figure out their own. But yeah. for me, it's a we call them our ceremonial swims, and they involve kind of three distinct rituals um, that are really easy, and people can opt in and opt out. They don't have to. But for the most part, people crave this. This is why they're, you know, they're coming for the cold water, but really they're coming for the community and this aspect of not, you know, the idea of self-care is is wonderful in theory, but in practice, when you're grieving, when you're going through something hard, like having a loved one die or receiving medical news for, of your own, self-care is practically impossible. Mm-hmm. So this is when community care needs to step up and say, okay, you you are holding a lot right now. And to ask you to try to solve that and fix it for yourself and, you know, is a lot. So why don't you let your community come together and hold that with you? I really like that community care. That's a, that's a concept I haven't really given much thought to. And I can see how valuable it would be to have community care, particularly when you're going through grieving or any kind of difficult, challenging time. Oh. Let's talk a little bit about your your app, Be Ceremonio. How does it inspire people to bring more ritual into their life? Yeah, so we started with the idea of just looking at all of these seemingly invisible moments across the life cycle. You know, moments connected to birth, moments connected to, you know, moving into a house or leaving a house, you know, house cooling ceremony, um, getting divorced, um, having an organ transplant. You know, I've worked with women who have had mastectomies and hysterectomies. How do we create a ceremony around that? Um, And then ultimately around, you know, the the thing that all of us that's going to happen to us the thing that connects all of us is that we're all going to die and how we approach that and you know we might have cultural rituals that are built in and that's wonderful and if we don't you know what do we do when we're sitting vigil you know in the the one or two or three days before somebody dies what are we supposed to do and so we give people a lot of different ideas and inspiration it's like a choose your own ritual adventure so if you choose the the sitting vigil ceremony or the home funeral ceremony or the scattering ashes ceremony 
you're guided through the experience of picking and choosing from hundreds of secular and universal rituals. And you can add your own spiritual or religious or cultural meaning on top of them. Um, we have a lot of rabbis using our app and they they bring this into their communities as kind of a place to start. And then they'll add their own Jewish Jewish faith on top Jewish faith on top of it. Um and then a lot of people who are like staunch, secular, scientific, they, you know, they don't want any woo-woo. They just want, this is about mental health for them. And they will choose other rituals that feel approachable for them, like my husband. So mm-hmm. I think we're really trying to give something for everybody. Um, the So the app started with this kind of larger ceremony, and we've just launched these idea of daily rituals. So the idea of what are things that you can do in your day that help us build these ritual muscles up? Because mm-hmm. if we, like I mentioned earlier, if we don't have a relationship with ritual ourselves, it's really hard to convince or show somebody else that they should as well. So thinking about your morning and your bedtime and, you know, anger rituals and burnout and all of these things that we're facing in our life, what are some things that we can do that take five minutes or less that don't require us to have to gather a lot of supplies and and take a lot of time away? Um, My beautiful co-founder in my other business, Seeking Ceremony, um, Kate Love, she calls them slivers of time. So especially as, you know, young moms with the sandwich generation, right? We've got aging parents, little kids, we're all working full time. Like we have slivers of time. I don't know. I don't have three hours a day to have this beautiful ritual. That's going to, you know, I've got two minutes and I've got to be able to do what I can in that two minutes. And you can do a lot. If you're doing that ritual every day or every other day, acknowledging the grief and the gratitude that you're holding at once, um, you know, processing your emotions, that actually can take you quite far. So we've launched these idea of daily rituals to inspire people in a more kind of regular way. Um, and then we have the Be Ceremonial Village, which is an online community. It's a place where we put courses and workshops. There's ability to connect with others who are also kind of seeking ceremony in their own way. Um, ask questions. A lot of people will come. We, we do a lot of work with uh, MAID, with the Medical Assistance and Dying Community. And a lot of people will come and say, you know, I'm my 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 mom or my friend's dad or somebody that I know is about to have um, medical assistance and dying, and I want to know how I can support them. What you know? What are some of the things? And people will you know? I'll offer what I can, but I want this to be the community care, right? I want everybody else to say, oh, when when my mom died, this is what we did, and you know, this one didn't work so well, but this worked really beautifully, and maybe you could find your own version of that, and. Ultimately, it's about storytelling, right? Also, all coming together and removing the taboo from this subject and inspiring people with what's possible. Beautiful. Can you share a couple of what are your daily rituals? I noticed when we we came together on this call just before we started, uh, you lit a candle, and I, I love that. It's uh, and you said this is you know, help ground me, which is great. Mm-hmm. What are a few other just just to get the ideas floating for people. What are a few other daily rituals that you can easily create? Yeah. So one of them that's in in the app, it's called a two-sided coin and I've got them all over the place, but I'll um, either take a piece of cardboard or paper and I'll cut it into a circle. Um, Sometimes I'll take a rock um, if I, if I don't have paper handy and I'll think about two things that I'm holding right now that seem in contrast with each other. They seem like they're polar opposites. Um, and I don't really know how to hold both. 
Uh, an example was when my father-in-law died, because it was a long drawn out illness, um, I felt a lot of relief and gratitude when he died. Mm. And I also felt sorrow and I felt a little bit of anger. And like, I felt all these emotions all at once and we're not taught how to hold multiple things at once. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're often kind of, we're, we've been trained to be in the pursuit of happiness. And if things get in the way of that happiness, an example would be at my wedding. Um, I wanted to, my father-in-law was still alive and I wanted to create space in our wedding ceremony um, to express the grief that we were holding as a family, as a family unit. And everybody was so uncomfortable with that at first. They say, no, it's a wedding. It's a time of joy. Like we don't want to bring grief and sadness into this but grief and sadness was already there. It was the elephant in the room. I just wanted to create space for it and be a bit more intentional. So this idea of holding polarities is something that um, I have to continue to do almost daily because I'm an empath. I, I feel a lot. Um, and I have to also kind of understand what what are my emotions and what am I holding for others? So I'll take a, a piece of paper and I'll cut it in a circle and I'll I'll distill them down to two, one word each. Um, and maybe this day I'm, I'm holding fear and I'm also holding trust. Mm. And I'll hold the fear side of the coin in my left hand and I'll close my eyes and I'll just notice where it is in my body. Maybe it's in my stomach. Maybe it's in my my throat. Maybe I can feel it kind of in my shoulders and I'll just acknowledge that it's there and I'll just give it permission. I'll breathe into it and just notice it. And then I'll flip the coin over to my right hand and I will do the same with the trust. And I'll think, where am I feeling trust right now? And where can I really, you know, does it have a color or a scent or is it heavy? Is it light? Um, and I'll hold that trust and then I'll bring both my hands together and I'll hold both at once. And I'll just take a few deep breaths and allow myself to not have to choose, to not have to place them in hierarchy Um, but to recognize that at this moment, I am holding both fear and trust and that's okay. That's so beautiful. I love that. Can, and so you said you can do that with a rock. Do you have to paint the words on the rock or can it just be, I I found this rock reason I asked, I found this rock the other day. I was drawn to pick up this rock and it just fits so perfectly in my hand. And I was thinking, what am I going to do with this rock? (laughs) But It can be your two-sided rock. Yeah. And it's my two-sided rock. Do I have to actually write paint on the rock, the different words, or can I just hold that in my mind and today's well, I'm gonna I'm gonna after our conversation here it's it's whatever you need it to be right and right. so you don't need my you can make it whatever you want and you can you know that I, I did I've done this ritual with people with nothing right we just we hold our hand in a fist kind of and we hold something in our left hand and we hold something in the right um I believe in the ability of these rituals to adapt they need to yeah. adapt to so you might not have a pen handy that's okay it doesn't mean you can't do the ritual yeah. the ritual is not the action itself it's the intention going into it right it's the um it's the combination of all of the things so if you are drawn to this rock and you feel like it's kind of you want to in- infuse it with some of those polar opposites that you're holding at any one time um you can make it your own and that's the beauty I'm gonna of it all. totally make it my own I got <laughs> ideas floating through my head now and I feel excited okay. about the creative process that's going to come and up and holding this rock <laughs> yeah. awesome. and th- that's what I see this is I-, I I tell people this is artistic this is yeah. creative this is unleashing our kind of imaginations as to what what ritual can be and what we need it to be and I've had rituals that I used to do that I don't do anymore because it's just not who what I need anymore not who I am and I've let them go um, and new rituals will, will find their way. And then I've got this rock here. It's got three hearts on it. Um, and I hold it and it fits perfectly in my hand. It feels like a little heart. 
And this was for my three, my three miscarriages. And when I hold this rock, I'll sometimes be in a meeting and I'll just pick it up and I'll just kind of massage it around in my hand. And it's just allowing my, my internal self to say, okay, yes, that, that happened. I, you know, I'm not, I might not even be grieving at that moment. It's just almost a recognition. And um, I've worn the rock out. I've held it so much, but um, I, I do, I do love that. I love having ritual tools all around me. Nice. So when that's the idea of building the muscles, right? So when, if you have a relationship with ritual on a day-to-day basis, you have these ritual tools you can draw to when you get that phone call that somebody you love has died or somebody that you love has received a terminal diagnosis. Yes. The floor will fall out from beneath you. Yes. You will feel lost. Yes. You will you know, have to catch your breath. And once you do, you will start to realize you have these rituals at the ready. You have this relationship already. And you can now move through this with a little bit more guidance and a little bit more inspiration and a little bit more intention um, and not feel like you did with your ash scattering. Um, even though you, it got everyone was kind of looking at you because they might not have had a relationship already with ritual wars. You've been developing this. You might not have known it was ritual, mm-hmm. but you have been, you've been building this up. And so you had those muscles already ready to flex. That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And true. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Now, you you mentioned that you had a gift um, for the listeners today. Can you tell us a little bit about what that gift is? Yeah. So um, we're going to share a, a link um, that you can kind of on our beceremonial.com website in our FAQ section. And it teaches you how to how to redeem a free ceremony. So I would love to give everybody the chance to explore our platform and choose a ceremony across the life cycle. There's about 34 that you can choose from right now. And pick one that you're drawn to and use the the, the promo code that um, we'll include. And I think we decided it was Joyful Journey is the Joyful pro- Journey, all joyful. capital, all one word, Joyful okay. Journey. Um, and you can put that into the uh, redeem that coupon code and that will give you the, the chance to unlock one of the ceremonies. Um, you can create it for yourself. You can also gift it to somebody else. So you might see, you know, a house cooling ceremony or a divorce ceremony or a menopause ceremony and think, oh, I have this friend who could really use this now. And you can pay the gift forward and you can send them the ceremony um, and have it be passed on like that. And what's Um, the website that they go to to get that? So it's www.beceremonial.com and you can set up a free account. And then when you choose your ceremony, you go through the experience and at the bottom, you'll, you'll redeem the code instead of paying for it. And it's typically $10 Canadian, um, but we also have um, annual membership. So if you want to be part of our online community, our village and have access to the daily rituals, um, then we invite people to become members and to join us in this journey, because it's something that we're learning from each other. Um, you know, every, every month, every, every week, somebody new will come and they'll come with specific questions and also knowledge to share. And that's my real big hope is to create this community where we are teaching each other and learning from each other at all times. Wonderful. All right. Well, we'll make sure to include all that information in uh, the show notes so people can find your link, find the promo code, go check out Be Ceremonial, uh, the app. And uh, yeah, thank you for all the work that you're doing. It's this is really important, important work. And and there's a big space that needs to be filled. Uh, So thank you for for doing that. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today on the Joyful Journey podcast. Really, uh, really enjoyed that felt very heart centered. So thank you. Mm 
And Joyful Journey, or thank you so much for tuning in and being here with us today. If uh, if you enjoyed the show, please leave a comment or a review, uh, share it with somebody you think that would uh, would would like to hear or learn more about the work that Megan is doing. And um, and that's it. We'll catch you next time. Bye for now. Thank you for joining me on the Joyful Journey podcast. If anything resonated for you from today's show, or if you are looking for more clarity in your life, clarity of purpose, or how to activate that purpose, then head over to joyfuljourney.ca and become a member of our community. We'll start by sending you a free download of our three guiding principles to inner wisdom, which will give you a great foundation for finding the clarity you are seeking. And you'll become part of a growing community of people who are raising the collective consciousness. So head over to joyfuljourney.ca and I look forward to connecting with you directly.